Welcome to the United Student Worship Podcast. We are so glad you decided to listen. If you want to connect with us, one of the best ways is through Instagram. You can follow us at Beach Students. We hope that this message encourages you and points you to Jesus in whatever you are going through. Let's do it. Have you ever heard the term, the truth will set you free? I'm sure y'all have all heard that. The truth will set you free. Maybe your, your mom or dad said it to you when you were a little kid and you had just eaten candy and they're like, are you sure you didn't eat candy? And you're like, you got chocolate running down your face and you're like, yeah, I'm sure. Um, they might have said something like, you know, the truth will set you free. And you're like, I'm three. I don't even know what that means. But you, you may have heard that throughout your life. The truth will set you free. On many college campuses, as you walk onto the campus, there might be um, something on like a on like a gate or a doorway as you walk onto campus that says the truth will set you free. And the idea behind it is kind of like, if you have knowledge, which you'll get at this university or this college, if you have knowledge, you will be set free. The original CIA um, headquarters had the truth will set you free engraved in its lobby. And, And here's why, because the CIA's mission is to know as much truth as possible, as much information as possible so that they can protect the freedoms of America. And so they want to know knowledge, knowing that that knowledge, that truth will set them free, will set others free. And it kind of goes to anything. Anytime you know truth, anytime you have more knowledge and understanding, it sets you free in an area like money is a great example. If you don't understand money and you don't understand how to spend it and you don't understand where it's going, you're going to have problems when it comes to money. But when you understand it, you are going to experience freedom in that area. And it kind of goes to to all walks of life. The truth will set you free. I want to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, and find the place where the quote came from. It's not from a a, a college. It's not from the CIA. It comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. So we're going to start in verse 31 of John chapter 8, and Jesus is talking to some Jews. Um, Jesus was a Jew as well, and uh, these Jews had decided to believe in him and follow him as their Messiah. So he's talking to to believers, to people who follow him, and he says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. If you hold to my teaching. When he says, if you hold to my teaching, he's talking about obedience. Everybody say, obey. Everybody say, obey. He's talking about obedience, obedience, obedience. He's going to give us the pathway to experiencing freedom. The first night, last night, we talked about obedience. our freedom, the world's freedom versus God's version of freedom. This morning we talked about how the only path to freedom is Jesus, and we talked about what Jesus sets us free from. Here's my hope for you, that you leave this weekend having experienced freedom, but not just experience freedom in a moment of worship, although sometimes a moment will free you or begin a process of freeing you. We want you to experience freedom tomorrow, and Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and in ninth grade, and in 10th grade, through the rest of middle school, through the rest of high school, into your adult life. We don't want freedom to be short term. We don't want it to be an emotion. We don't want it to be a, 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 a little um, cute experience at a retreat. We want it to be life changing. And Jesus gives us the pathway to life change freedom in this short little segment. He says, if you hold to my teaching, if you obey, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you, everybody say free. Everybody say free. Obedience leads to knowing truth, 
leads to experiencing freedom. Obedience leads to knowing truth, leads to experiencing freedom. Freedom, freedom. It's hard to know that something's true without experiencing it. Like someone can tell you something. Ah, oh, like it was a great movie, it was a great show, it was a great restaurant. But until you experience it, you don't really know it for yourself. You don't really experience the taste or the entertainment of that movie until you listen to them and you try it out for yourself. So like when your friend goes to a new restaurant and they come and tell you how great it is, that's great. I'm sure you believe them. But, but when they say you should try it, the only way you're really going to know it's true, the only way you're really going to experience the goodness of their recommendation is if you go and try it for yourself. When you do what Jesus says, you see that his way is best. A lot of times we don't even get here. We don't even get to doing what he says because we're like, I don't know. I don't know if I really want what he says. And we don't believe it. And so we don't even try it. Like there were a lot of foods I didn't try when I was little just because I was stubborn or I was like, oh, that doesn't look good. And like, and then later I ate it and I'm like, this is amazing. I wish I had tried it a long time ago, but I didn't, I didn't do it. And so I didn't know it. And so I didn't experience it. So therefore I, I lived in lack. I, I had like lack of taste in my life in certain areas. And if we don't get to the point where we do what Jesus says, we won't see that his way is best. I, I actually wrote down another thing that, that is not on the screen or anything, but you can write it down because I think this is even more true. When you are in a true relationship with Jesus, when you are in a true relationship with Jesus, you see that his way is best. Because it's not just about doing. Remember, it's not just about trying harder, being better. It's about being in relationship with him. And when we do that, we see that his way is best. You obey, you do, then you know. And once you know that truth, then you experience freedom. This is the pathway. This is the pathway to taking what we talk about tonight and putting it into your life. Again, I, I make this comparison a lot, but it's like a trainer at a gym. If, if you go to, to the gym and they do that really, really like awkward kind of defeating thing where they like pinch all the fat on your body and they like use these little pinchers and like, well, you have this much fat on your body, this much muscle, and here's your weight and here's your body comp and all that kind of stuff. Then they give you a plan. And if you go to that little, through that little process and then they give you the plan and you don't do the plan, ain't nothing going to change. Nothing. They could be the smartest trainer in the world. They could be ripped themselves. They could have the greatest machines. They could have the greatest diet for you. They could cook it for you. But if you don't do it, you won't change. You won't experience the things that are possible through that trainer. And so what do we do when we, when we pay someone, when we go to a trainer, when we go to a coach uh, for a sport, we do what they say, then we know what they say is true because we experience the change we're better at dribbling, we're, 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 we lift more weight, we're faster, whatever, whatever the coach is doing in your life. And then we experience the freedom on the back end of what the obedience resulted in. We get to experience that freedom, that freedom, that freedom. Jesus says, if you obey, then you'll know truth. If you know truth, you'll experience 
freedom. And then they answer him, well, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? This actually isn't true. They had been slaves a lot of times. In fact, they were enslaved at that very moment to the, to the empire of Rome. They, they weren't actually like slaves, but they were controlled by another empire. And they resented it. And they tried to act like they were more free than they are. And here's the thing about us. We like to act like we're free when we really aren't. Because we'll look at the physical, right? We're like, oh, I'm not in prison. I'm not a servant. I'm not a slave. And so I, I, guess, I guess I am free. But Jesus is, is, is constantly making this point. There's so much more to freedom than just your physical situation. And he answers that very way in verse 34. He says, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Very simple. Very clear. It's about as clear as you can be. If you, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. I don't care what your physical situation is. If there's a heart sin issue, a mind sin issue, an addiction issue, a lust issue, a, a gossip issue, a pride issue, an ego issue, a selfishness issue, a jealousness uh, issue, or jealousy issue, a, 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 an envy issue, any of these issues, if those issues are in you, it doesn't matter what the physical is. You are a slave to that sin. You're a slave to that sin. Sin makes you a slave. Let me be very clear. I know we've talked about it over all, all, uh, all weekend, and I've said it over and over again, but your urges and your cravings make you slaves. Well, I'm, I'm free. I'm free to do what I want. No, you're not. Your urges and your cra cravings make you a slave. Again, it has nothing to do with your, with your physical situation. You could be rich. You could be successful. You could be smart. You could be the best athlete at your school. You could get into the best college. You could have the best job, the best family. You could be very popular and famous. You could be an influencer. And guess what? You can still be a slave. And we see it all the time, don't we? Let, let's not fool ourselves. Let's not act like the people that are the smartest, the most talented, the richest, and the most famous are the, the happiest people in the world, are the most free people in the world. They're not. Some of them are, maybe depending on their personal spiritual situation and, and their sin situation and their walk with Jesus. But some of them certainly are not. Sin makes you a slave. Sin makes you a slave, no matter what is going on in your physical situation. Jesus says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, if Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is good news, y'all. I want y'all to memorize this verse. You can underline it in your Bible, write it down somewhere. I'll just read it to you a few times. So if the Son sets you free, not me, not, not, not trying harder, not, not your talent, not your gifts, not your family. I'm talking about the Son. That is Jesus. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the only freedom possible. That's it. That's it. There are no other options. There are no other ways. There is no other self-help. This is the only way. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is amazing news. Verse 37. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. You don't like what I'm saying, Jesus is saying. So you're looking for a way to kill me. They would end up killing him because they didn't like what he was saying. Verse 38. I am telling you what I've seen in my father's presence. You are doing what you heard from your father. This is like, this is like a throwdown right here. I know this, this doesn't sound like much trash talk, but this is like, this is harsh. He's like, basically, my daddy's stronger than your daddy. I'm doing what my daddy tells me to do. My daddy in heaven 
the big man, the ultimate end-all, be-all. You're doing just what your earthly daddy, I'm sure he's a great daddy, but, but he is not as strong as God. You're doing what your father taught you, or your sibling taught you, or Instagram taught you, or TikTok taught you, or your friend taught you, or your school taught you. Jesus says, I'm doing what God taught me. Are you going to God or the world for freedom? Are you going to God or the world for freedom? I say this a lot. I really only have one sermon, and this is it. It's this question wrapped up in different packages over and over and over and over. These are the options. You got two choices. If you get bored with this sermon, you might as well go find another church because I'm just going to keep preaching this one. You got two choices, the world or Jesus. You can follow the world or Jesus. You can follow the world or Jesus. Those are the only choices. You can make the choice. I can't do it for you. God's not going to do it for you. But you really only got two choices. Are you going to God or the world for freedom? Because we all want freedom, and we're going to go somewhere for it. Are you actually experiencing freedom? Are you going to walk out of this place experiencing freedom? I want to go back to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Do we have that in the message? There we are. There we are. So earlier, earlier I read you a description of what happens when we try to do what we want to do. And in fact, it's not going to be on the screen, but I, I saved it on my phone. So I'm just going to go to it. Um, I want to read you the one that I, uh, I read to you earlier today. He says this, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, controlled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on, but then there's good news. Then there's good news. That's what happens when we do what we want to do. But here's what a life following Jesus looks like, choosing his way for freedom looks like. Listen to this. Just nobody can deny that this sounds amazing, but what happens when we live God's way? What happens when we obey? What happens when we're in a relationship with Jesus? What happens when we follow Jesus for freedom and not our own way? Listen to this. Listen to this. He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. You ever been in like an orchard? Like in full bloom where you just walk around and there's just like food growing on trees. You ever thought about how amazing that is? There's just food. And just Like you can eat stuff that just comes out of plants. I know, I know we grow up with it and we just think it's normal, but it's just amazing. Anyway, so like when you walk through, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of apples or oranges or, or, or whatever um, fruit uh, that you are uh, walking through a field of. He says, in the same way that fruit appears in an orchard, it just naturally happens and it is abundant. Things like affection for others exuberance about life, excitement about life, serenity, which is peace. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness or living like Jesus permeates things in people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies 
wisely. 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 This is a life of following after Jesus for our freedom. But here's, here's the, the, the tough truth. You will leave this place, and no matter what happened, whether you are trying to follow this path of obedience leads to knowing truth, leads to experiencing freedom or not, whether you had an experience this weekend or not, you, you will be tempted to turn back to whatever you left. And it seems weird, doesn't it? Like what slave goes back to slavery? What prisoner wants to go back to prison? That, that seems silly, doesn't it? And yet we do it all the time. Galatians 5.1, our theme verse for the weekend. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the slavery of sin or by the, the yoke of a slavery of sin. It's right there. It says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, but, but, but don't go back to it. Why would they say that? That just seems silly, doesn't it? Why would we ever go back to that? Why would we go from something good to something bad? Well, it happens all the time. And so I want to go through some reasons because unless we know the warning signs, unless we know the temptations, we are going to fall for the same trap over and over and over and over again. And I have fallen traps, fallen victim to the, all the traps I'm about to talk about. So what are some of the reasons? What are some of the traps? What are some of the reasons that we leave freedom to go back to bondage? Let, let, me, let me tell you a story of a nation. And this will kind of help you understand this song we've been singing this week in Egypt. You stepped into my Egypt. You took me by the hand. You walked me out in freedom into the promised land. This is a story about a nation called Israel. Let me give you a very quick, brief synopsis of thousands of years of history. There was this guy named Jacob. Well, before that, Abraham. But anyway, I'll start with Jacob. Jacob had a family, a big family. One of his sons, who his brothers um, tried to kill and they sold him into slavery, that son ended up leading Egypt, the most powerful empire in the world. Think about that. Like, think about if somebody was sold into slavery in modern day um, in the modern day world, and they were from some random nation uh, across the ocean, and then they ended up in America, and they ended up being our president. Like, this is like a zero to hero type thing. And he was so powerful that he brought his entire family, this massive extended family, to live in Egypt. And it was good while Joseph was alive because he was in control. But then Joseph died, and a new Pharaoh rose to the throne, and this Pharaoh didn't know Jacob and his family. And this family had grown really big, and he looked at them as a, as a dangerous group of foreigners, and so he enslaved them. And for 400 years, this, this group of foreigners grew and grew and grew and became the slave force of the nation or the kingdom of Egypt. And they built, I don't know what they built, but they built like pyramids and stuff. They built like all the kingdoms, all the cities, the walls. They built everything for the nation of Egypt. Egypt got rich and prosperous on the backs of the people of Israel. And after 400 years, these people, after calling out to God, God answered. God answered. And he sends, he sends like this former prince who was really a man of Israel, who had killed somebody, run away, was a convict, a, a, a backwoods guy just doing shepherding out in the wilderness. He calls this guy, Moses, and he says, I'm going to have you lead my people into freedom. 
And Moses like, they don't even know me. And they wouldn't like me if they did. And they don't even know what it is to be free. They've been slaves for 400 years. He says, no, I'm going to send you. And so he sends them. And y'all guys, y'all have seen the Prince of Egypt maybe or some Ten Commandments movie, but he, he, uh, he, like, he sends these ten plagues, and there's like frogs and locusts, and like the cows are dying, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of bad stuff. And finally, Pharaoh's like, I'm fed up with your God. He keeps, um, he keeps messing up my life, and I'm just going to listen to what he says. Go. I don't care if it kills our economy. I don't care if it kills our nation. It is killing us to keep them, and so he lets them go. And something amazing happens when this happens. Um, God does something incredible, and it's almost like really, it's so small that you, you would miss it if, um, if you didn't really focus in on it. But as the people of Israel are leaving Egypt, all the Egyptians came out and gave them jewelry and gold. And it says in this way, they built this national treasury that they would be able to build their nation upon. And they didn't fight a, a war or a battle to get it. They just were given it. Because God is a miracle worker. And so they go out, and, and, and then eventually Pharaoh changes his mind. He's kind of flip-flopping, and he's like, nah, I, don't, I want y'all back. So he chases them down with his armies. They get to the edge of this water. Moses walks out into the, into the water. He puts his staff down. The, the seas split. We wrote a song. We didn't write a song about it, but we sang a song about it. You split the seas so I could walk right through it. They walk through on dry ground with hundreds of feet of water on each side, held up by God's hand. They walk across. They get into freedom. Them, the waters come back together and they are free totally free totally free they see God in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night they see God his presence they watch him they follow him physically and then 45 days later a month and a half I mean think about it. a month and a half ago was the beginning of February like that's it's so short 45 days later they want to go back. They want to go back. And I want to look at Exodus 16 and look at the first of three reasons why they want to go back and what it has to do with us. Let me read to you out of Exodus 16 verses 1 through 3. It says, the whole Israelite community, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, a month and a half, after they had come out of Egypt. A month and a half. They see God. They've seen these miracles. They just got thrown jewelry at them as they were leaving. This is incredible. And then they started to complain and grumble against Moses and Aaron. And listen to what they say. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by God's hand in Egypt. I wish we were dead. I wish God had just killed us before he set us free. What was the point? Because in Egypt, wow, listen to this, we sat around pots of meat. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. We ate all the food we wanted. It was a, it was a nonstop food truck and all you can eat buffet. It was amazing. But now you brought us out into this desert to starve to death. Oh my gosh. You know, back when we were in Egypt, those, those were the good old days. The good old days. Everybody say good old days. The good old days. The good old days. The good old days are when we begin to believe that life was better when we weren't following Jesus. Some of you will make the decision or have made the decision to give your life to Christ for the first time this weekend. And you're going to have a temptation to believe that life was better before you followed Jesus. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. And this has happened to you a lot of times where you've been tempted by this idea that maybe life was better back in the day. All oh, the good old days. 
We believe that life was better when we weren't following Jesus. I mean, these people were slaves for 400 years. And now they're saying, well, we wish we could go back because they had some good food. The food wasn't free. They were slaves. They worked for it. They died for it. They lived for it. Life was not good. They were slaves. This is, this is selective thinking. We have this ability to do this as people where we look back at the past and we think, you know, things were so good. We, we remember the good and we forget the bad. This happens a lot. Maybe it hasn't happened to you yet. Maybe some of the high schoolers thinking back to middle school. But when you're older, I know my life group leaders understand this. You're going to think back to some boyfriends and girlfriends you had in middle school and high school. And one day you're going to think, you know, back in the good old days when I dated, whatever, fill in the blank, some guy or girl. Oh, you know, I remember that, that, that Valentine's Day, and he got me such a cute little gift, and we went to this cute little Italian restaurant, and it was a great Christmas, and oh my gosh, I went on a vacation with his family, or whatever. Like, like, uh, like, like, like we think about these, these good times. And then we choose to forget how we fought all the time, how we despised one another, how, how we could not stand each other by the end of the relationship. We forget all the drama and all the gossip and all the crap that came with the relationship. We remember the good times, the highlight reel, and we forget all the other stuff. We have selective thinking. We think, oh, it was the good old days. The good old days. But it wasn't really that good. You just have selective memory. This is what they are doing. They're thinking back to, to life when they were slaves. And it wasn't good. But they think it was because they're just remembering the one or two good aspects. We will do this. You might do this Monday. Ah, you know, I know they talked about all that and I experienced this stuff, but like, ah, I think it might have been better just before I was a Jesus, I, a Jesus follower. Like, I think it was, it was better back in the good old days, back when I used to sin, back when I used to do what I wanted to do. I've seen this over and over again. I wish I could give you one example. Um, unfortunately, I've seen so many of them that I'm just going to give you a generalized example, but this happens every year with mission trips. Especially, especially with our high schoolers going on Jamaica. I've seen so many students that have a life-changing experience serving Jesus. And then they go back to school a month later. And they get stuck in the good old days. Ah, you know, it was fun partying. Now I feel guilty about it. Ah, I think I want to go back. You know, that relationship that I, that I was convicted to get out of while I was in Jamaica by God and I broke up with him or her, now I just, you know, maybe I shouldn't get back into it. A substance, that sin, that habit, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad. I kind of miss it. It was kind of good. The good old days, right? The good old days. And then they walk away from Jesus. I never hear from them again. And that doesn't mean it's the end of their story. It's just... For a time, they, they believe that the good old days were better and they walk away from Jesus because of it. We will walk away from freedom because we believe in the lie of the good old days. Fast forward just a little bit in Exodus. Fast forward. If you're, if you're, if you're falling asleep, stay with me. Stay with me. We got a few minutes left and, um, and then we're going to go back into worship. Exodus 32. Exodus 32 verses 1 through 8. So this is just a little bit later. Same people, same desert, same God. Verse 1 of chapter 32. It says... Then the people, or when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. So Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. He's uh, taking a little bit too long. And so they gathered around Aaron, his vice president, and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. 
As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. He's been gone too long. We want something new. So Aaron answered them, okay, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. I just want you to remember where this gold came from. It came from God. It came from the same God who sent miraculous signs to raise them up out of Egypt so that they could be free. This is God's gold. This is God's miracle. And they said, okay, let's take all those rings and let's bring them together. And Aaron took what they handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out, up out of Egypt. The golden calf didn't bring them up out of Egypt, but they just made this up. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early. They sacrificed burnt offerings. They presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. That's an Old Testament way of saying they were partying. They bought a couple kegs. They got some drugs and they're going to get drunk and they're going to get high and it's going to be a great time as they dance in circles around a golden calf. What, I mean, what animal? Like, why would you even pick a calf? There's so many better animals, stronger animals than that, but they pick a baby cow. Weird. Anyway, the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick, quick. Everybody say quick. Quick. Again, it's only been a few months. It's been a short time. They've been quick to turn away from what I've commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They traded God for a golden calf. A golden calf. Look at that. Y'all want to zoom in on this? Cameras, look at that. Look at this guy. Incredible. It's gold. It's a cow. It's got udders, a little bell around its neck. I mean, this is a high-quality idol. Look at that. They traded in God for that. And they had a party dancing around it, thinking that this had brought them up out of Egypt. Trap number two, reason we go back away from freedom and back into slavery, number two, is the golden calf. And here's what the golden calf is. It's easier to trust in something we can see and touch. Something we can see and touch. And I had an amazing experience at Epworth. I experienced this freedom in worship and this, this freedom through God's word and this freedom through the Holy Spirit. It was incredible. And then you get back to the real world and you say, I don't know. I think I want something I can see and touch. Something I can feel with my hands. This happened again over quarantine for so many people. We traded in God for a golden calf. TikTok, Instagram, filling up our time with just mindless junk. It was our golden calf. Our golden calf. Something we could see. Something we could touch. Because we were tired of not seeing God. We were tired of not feeling God. Oh, I haven't felt him in a while. I haven't been able to go to worship in a while. So I think I'm just going to, um, I'm going to trade him in for something else. We do this all the time. I've done this plenty of times. We do this with sports. It's a golden calf. Oh, I can see it. I can, I can see my success. Oh, you scored three goals. Wow. You averaged 14 points a game. That's amazing. Your team went undefeated. You won the city championship. This is great. You're on a travel team. You can see it. Sports are not bad. I love sports. Love, love, love sports. But 
They're not a God. They're a golden calf. You can see them. You can touch them. But they're not God. And they will lead you back into slavery. Stuff. We do it with stuff all the time. Stuff. Cars. Cars. I love my car. I got rear-ended and it totaled a month ago. And I'll never see it again. We took a picture of it as it drove away on the, on the tow truck. And I was so sad. It wasn't that good of a car. It wasn't worth very much, which is kind of sad because I didn't get a very big check for it. But like, it was stuff. I loved it. I loved it. I wish I could have kept it for a little bit longer. But now it's just gone. And all it took was one guy just rampaging into the back of my car at a stoplight. And it was just gone. Stuff is so, so temporary. You might be in fashion right now. One day you're going to be a dad or a mom wearing dad or mom jeans, but it's not going to be the cool dad or mom jeans. And you're going to be walking around and you're going to become who your parents are. And you're going to be like, they are so lame. You're going to be that in 40 years. I promise. I pro well, hopefully, maybe not, but probably, probably. I'm trying not to be, but maybe I already am. I don't know. Like you're, you're going to turn into something that maybe you didn't think you would become. And you think, oh man, I could put my, I could put my weight into, into stuff, into fashion into phones, into technology, into stuff. It's just, doesn't work. But we want something physical. We want something real. We look at these people, we're like, y'all could see God, right? A pillar of fire. You saw plagues happen and miracles happen. You walked across a sea and you traded in God for this, this. And yet we do it all the time over and over again. I was a life group leader before I, I worked here at the church, and, and I, had, I had some boys that, that I love, 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 and I remember, I remember that they would, they would have experiences at, at, at things like this at Epworth and mission trips, and, and, and they love Jesus, but they'd have these experiences where they would turn to Him in a mighty way, and then a few months later, they would go back to something that they could see and touch. Specifically, I, I saw it happen a lot with marijuana and girls. Marijuana and girls. That, that was kind of like the common thing. They date somebody and they could see her. They could touch her a little bit too much. And they walked away from Jesus so that they could see and touch their girlfriend. They walked away from Jesus so they could see and touch a green leaf or stem. Or, I don't know. I've never smoked weed. I don't know much about it. Whatever. Y'all are like, you're so lame. I smoke. Awesome. Hopefully you're going to become free from that this week. And hopefully you're going to come free from that, from that pull of things that you can see touch fast forward a few more hundred years the last thing number three the nation of israel they were brought into this amazing amazing land and they defeated everybody and they shouldn't have been able to defeat anybody they weren't strong enough but god allowed them to be strong enough and then they look around and they looked at the other nations and they said well they have kings we just have an invisible god i mean forget the fact that he was so much more powerful than a king and they said no no we want a king and so they went to God and they asked for a king and God told the prophet to tell them you know kings aren't all you think they are it's going to make you uh, pay taxes and, and send your boys to war and, and take your land and all that kind of stuff you don't want a king but they said no 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 we want a king why because we want to be like other nations how stupid could they be why would they want to be like the nations they had defeated why would they want a human king when they had an all-powerful God but they said we want to be like other nations this is the third and final lie. The third and final trap that sends us back into slavery over and over and over again. We get pulled away from God by the culture we live in. And I'm not talking about culture like art and movies and all that kind of stuff necessarily. That culture can be good. But we get pulled away from God by the world's culture. 
Again, man, I've seen this too many times to count. Too many times to count. I've seen it in my own life, but I've seen it so many times in students. I, I, I love my students. I love you guys so much. And I've seen students pulled away from God because of culture, because of social media, because of what everybody else is doing. And they won't say it because it's not cool to say it and they know it's a lame excuse, but they just want to be like their friends. They just want to be like their school. They just want to be like influencers. They just want to be like the things they see on TV and they hear about on social media. They really just want to be like the nations around them. And we get pulled away so often. I mean, this is why, this is why your life groups are so important. Why we will do life groups till Jesus comes back. Because life groups are the only protection against the culture that we live in. Life groups are like... Um, they're like a wall around a city where the culture is the armies attacking and the walls stand up and stand firm. Are you perfect because of life groups? No, but life groups will protect you. They will convince you that the culture is lying to you. And if you stop going to life groups, you are so much more likely to believe the lies of culture. The worst thing you can do is push away your life group. The worst thing you can do is push away your life group leaders. And I know sometimes that they judge me. Well, you've been going here for five years. You're a Christian. You asked them to hold you accountable and they held you accountable. Like they didn't judge you. They're trying to help you. Perhaps because they've walked down this road and they don't want to do it themselves. Community and life groups are so important and we got to stay in them. And I've seen too many Jesus followers, students, get sucked in by the world. And sometimes it happens really slowly. Kind of stop coming to church. They kind of switch up the way they act, they dress, they talk. It's just these little signs, these little, these little small things where they're just slowly changing, becoming like other nations. I don't want you to leave this place and in a month say, I'm just going to become like other nations. I want to be like everybody else. golden calf. It's easier to trust in something we can see and touch. We want to be like other nations. We get pulled away from God by the culture we live in. The good old days. We begin to believe that life was better when we weren't following Jesus. Here's the bottom line. Here's where I'm going to land the plane. Don't let the shininess of sin pull you back in. That rhymes. Yeah. Maybe you'll remember it. Don't let the shininess of sin pull you back in. Don't let the shininess of sin pull you back in. Don't let the shininess of the golden calf pull you back in. Don't let the shininess of culture and what social media says and what, what, what the internet says and what your friends say pull you back in. Don't let the shininess of the good old days, back when things were amazing, when they really weren't, pull you back in. It's a trap. It's not real. Man, Emily, Emily, she's the little girl up here just dancing around, flowing. I just love watching her lead worship, and she's amazing. And God's brought her so far, and I'm so proud of her. And she said something today, and I felt like I was listening to a prophet. And, and it made me like, oh my gosh. She called it sugar-coated misery. Woo! Sugar-coated misery. Sugar-coated misery. This is the shininess of sin. Sugar-coated misery. Sugar-coated misery. This is what we often trade God in for. Sugar go to misery. Sugar go to misery. Sugar go to misery. It's a little bit, it's like the, it's like the, uh, the Sour Patch Kids, right? No, no. They st- no, it's opposite. Opposite of the Sour Patch Kids. They start sweet, then they turn sour. Sugar coated 
misery. Tastes good at first. Felt good at first. And then you realize, I'm trapped. I'm trapped. I'm trapped. My old student pastor, uh, Pastor Joby, who's now the pastor at 1122, used to tell this, this story. I've never forgotten it. And I, I, I just, I'm just going to steal his story. He had these two dogs um, before he had kids because I think people care more about dogs before they have kids. And then they have kids, they're like, never mind. Kids and forget the dogs. Anyway, they had these dogs. They loved their dogs. They were, it was like their pride and joy. Pride and joy. They loved these dogs. I forgot their names, but they were these ugly mutts. Um, one was Sadie and one was Samson. That's right. All the old school people know. <laughs> Sadie and Samson. And these, these dogs, um, these dogs were, uh, were, again, their pride and joy. And every time they left the house, they, uh, they, they would want to put them in the crate because if they didn't, their house would be destroyed when they came home. Okay? Because you don't leave dogs out most of the time. Um, these dogs would just tear up the couch and tear up the house, and so they would have to crate them. And the dogs hated the crate. They didn't like to be trapped. They didn't want their freedom to be taken, just like us. And they knew it. They could, they, they could come on, come on, come on, get in the crate. It wouldn't work. And they had a little trick. They'd throw a piece of cheese in the crate. Cheap, fake cheese, like Kraft Singles. They'd throw it in there. One little piece of cheese. And both dogs would race each other to get back into that crate. Right when they ran into it, they'd have 0.32 seconds of, ah, this processed cheese. And then they'd shut the door. And then they'd turn around and they'd look up at him and just whine. And he would always, he would always end the story by saying, there's those dumb dogs. And that's what we do all the time. We think we're so smart because we're humans. And we think, you know, kids and, 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 and animals are so dumb. But we do the same things. We have freedom. And we, we, we know what we don't want. And then Satan just throws a little piece of candy. And we rush right back into slavery. And it doesn't matter how good a weekend was, how amazing a salvation experience was, how amazing the songs were, how amazing and strong the decisions were and the emotions. Here's what we do. We run right back in when a little piece of cheese gets thrown in and we enjoy it for 0.25 seconds. Oh, this is great. And then we realize we're stuck. We're trapped again in a prison of our own making. What trips us up? Our own decisions, our own values, our own priorities. And we jump right back in to be like other nations, to catch the golden calf, to go back to the good old days.